I had never had a dismembered headless torso to investigate. You know, I've investigated my fair share of shootings, homicides, uh, a whole array of investigations, thousands, but I never had one of these. So I knew um, it was going to be interesting. I had no idea of what I was fixing to step into. If I had of, um, I'm, I'm not so sure I would have stepped in so willingly. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 58 for the week of February 9th, 2015. I am irresistible Wegmans hoagie, David T. Cole. Oh, you in for something. And I'm with flat-chested, deaf-mute Sarah D. Bunting. Junior Detective Tara Ariano. Senior Detective. And Annie Billboard Eve Beatty. I'm not interested in talking about canning. <laughs> well, that's too goddamn bad. Hello, everyone. We are joined this week by uh, first-time EHG guest Eve Beatty, who also is doing a marathon diary of The Wire for us at Previously.TV. Welcome. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. And we'll be talking about HBO's The Jinx, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst. But first, we would like to remind you that the phrase that doesn't pay is still in play. So... Keep an ear out this? for week that and maybe five. get yourself an extra credit. Week no, this four? is week three. No, it can't be just this three. This is week three. No. Yes. I don't believe it. I can't believe it. I know. I remember specifically when it was first in play be- for reasons that I will not say. All but right. yes, this is the third time. Neat. All right. The jinx. And anyway, back to murders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So I don't know how much you guys knew about this guy and this case before watching this had you heard anything about him were you familiar with this nope not me i feel i feel like go ahead sorry (laughs) i feel like there well we might be getting ready to say the same thing i feel like i read in a library (laughs) huh library copy of the vanity fair like in the 80s like when i was like in middle or high school about um the uh initial alleged homicide doesn't that seem like a vanity fair story one of those things where it's like 50 pages up front and then you go to the jump and it's like 50 more pages and it's about rich people from new york <laughs> that's so i feel so like i knew about the initial story that you said vanity fair because i i said the same thing to sarah on um on skype i am last week after we had just watched it i i think i did too but i feel like it might have been though if i'm remembering it right it might have been later i have a distinct memory of reading it like in an airport um, but it's hard to know for sure without checking, which I didn't, because Vanity Fair only has like a story about a rich murderer like every other issue. So it's, Oh, yeah, uh, I looked and I couldn't find anything either. But I really it seems so Vanity Fairish. Yeah, maybe just because the story does exist. Ned Zeman wrote it. Oh, OK. And Vanity mm-hmm. Fair Confidential revisited the story. That's their new TV show on Investigation ah. Discovery. But they did okay. not have the cooperation of. Durst, unlike the Jinx, which right. is such a crazy story. It sort of reminds me of um, like Fatal Vision and Jeffrey McDonald's really thinking that Joe McGinnis was like the guy to mm-hmm. take his side and tell a story and tell everyone how innocent he is, and didn't so much work out like that. And we don't we don't know how the Jinx is going to end up thinking about Robert Durst, but it's pretty funny that he watched a fictional movie sort of based on the disappearance of his wife or his first wife, and then. 
called up the filmmaker and was like, so want to have a little chat ski? Yeah. Has anyone seen that movie? I have not. I have not seen that movie. I um on I tried to watch it. I gave it about fifteen. I mean, because Gosling, <laughs> I, but really, yeah. it was so boring, you guys. It was so boring, and like Gosling was doing that like accent. Uh-huh. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, but okay. But I have a theory about the movie and stuff. Looking at Andrew, is it Drecky? I think so. So yeah. looking at his his CV, which is pretty limited. This is the only fictional thing he's ever done. Yeah. He, unless you count his Catfish. job as an EP on Catfish. Thank you. That <laughs> uh, <laughs> got so exciting, but. Is it possible that this is a long con that he made this movie, the sympathetic play, hoping that because he even said that that was his goal was to create something that Durst would see and have an emotional reaction to? I just mm. after looking at that guy's goatee, I would not put it past him. <laughs> yeah, he's got a weird well, face. The CB right? is so it's capturing the Freedmans. Yeah, it's Catfish the movie. He Felicity wrote music. For Felicity. Yeah. And then this. Like, that is a long and weird con. Like, right? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking that the fictional film was the long con. Yeah. I thought it was weird when he did say that. Like, that, that that's not that's not the goal of a movie you should be making. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm gonna <laughs> thanks investors. I really want to press this psychopath. Thanks. Yeah, but Sarah, you brought that up in your new show fact sheet on the on the series, which is like it's it's already kind of compromised just by the fact of it and the, the how it came about. Both because you know he did make all good things, the fictional version of the story, and now is like, yeah, totally, let's collabo. In a, yeah, in a way that, that, kind that of, phone call. Yeah, I agree with you. There's something about I don't think I expressed it well in the new show fact sheet, but it's like it, you know, and this is opening up a whole other avenue of discussion, which we don't have to walk down about whether documentaries can ever be a, objective, quote unquote, or should be. I don't think they can or should be. Yeah. But anyway, his phone call with Durst, where he's sort of like, yeah, I totally agree that I, you know wouldn't have an agenda and you want to talk to somebody who doesn't have preconceived notions and I'm the guy. And it's like, okay, this is how you get people to cooperate with your project. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, Durst is not a moron and must have sensed a certain amount of gold being blown up the old (laughs) hulo. So I don't, I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that I trust Jarecki's stance not knowing what it is, if that yeah. makes any sense. But and it's it, still like a fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's totally fascinating so far. I'm totally into it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. D- just in terms of objectivity, though, I assume that Sarah and Eve are going to say yes and Dave will say, I know Dave will say no, but have you guys watched The Staircase? Yes. No. <gasps> no. Eve, you haven't? Oh, my God. You have okay, to watch okay, it. It's so good. It's a similar kind of thing about where it's a docu series, documentary series about a guy. Oh, thanks for explaining that one. Okay, sorry. About a guy <laughs> who is accused of um, of killing. Get the his... electric company over here. All right. About Doc a guy Hughes. who's accused of killing Doc. his wife. Shut <laughs> up, Dave. Sorry. God, yeah. Dave. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of spousal you know, murder, your, your husband. Your mom's right. a docu series. God Jeez. damn, Cole. How many ways are there for me to say shut the fuck? Oh, carry on. May I? Staircase. (laughs) Walking up that staircase of discussion. It's another short term show about a guy who's accused of murdering his wife, except it's actually filming like during the, the run up to his prosecution. Like the guy has been arraigned. 
His name is Michael Peterson, right, Sarah? Correct. Oh, I've seen They're this. They're all same named this. Michael Peterson, I feel like. But, um, yeah, they are. There's like three different and isn't there allegedly like killy. Yeah, well, there's there's the original series that hap- that was filmed like around the time of the first trial. And then last year, or possibly in 2013, there was an, an, an additional two-episode like coda, because new evidence came out, I guess. But it's it's it, but that filmmaker is way less like you never see him. You he doesn't get a voiceover. Like there's no narration, and it's it's. I, I agree with you, Sarah, that objectivity is probably not possible. But that gets about as close as you can under the circumstances. I I feel like in in uh, in just being not part of the story and just filming exactly what goes down in the order that goes down, which a lot does. Eve, you would really like this show, I think. Yeah. You really would. And I believe the first episode, at least, is on YouTube. I don't know where else it's available to watch legally. Yeah, but I, well, I, I think I'm capable YouTube. of investigation of that. I, I rented the DVDs from Netflix, but I, I don't think it's streaming, but the DVDs are available for sure. Okay. Anyway, back to the jinx. So um, how many episodes did you guys... We got the first two on screeners. Did you guys watch them both? Yeah. Yes, I did. The second one is way better than the first, I think. It really gets into it a lot. Um, that's the, the episode where we find out a, a lot more about like the actual timeline of Kathy's disappearance, Robert Durst's first wife. And, um, you know, I feel like the story it tells is pretty damning. What do you? What did you think? Well, I think it's interesting that like the first episode is a lot of table setting, like here's, here's what happened. And here's, you know, this crime in Galveston where they like, that's what they reel you in with, which is fine. And then the second one is like the second crime, which actually happened first, which is like equally Occam's razory in that like, there's kind of no other explanation for what happened. Unless your detective pendant neck who is completely taken in by everything Robert Durst tells him at the time. Yeah. What the heck? But yeah. And then the, um, then you're really seeing Robert Durst and like, why definitely like friends of friends of the wife are like, this guy definitely did it because, you know, as interviews, as the interviews unfold, he's like, well, yeah, you know, I just made up an alibi to get them off my back. Mm Mm-hmm. So that they, so that they I lied so they'd believe me was basically his his argument about oh no like I didn't go to the neighbor's house I didn't make that phone call I wasn't walking the dog I don't have a dog I don't speak any English what yeah, yeah. and then he's like yeah I slapped her uh, okay like do, right. he doesn't seem to have any concept of how this comes off yeah and it but it definitely deepens some of the stuff that that we heard in the first episode about like his brother giving a deposition about how he, he needed protection from his brother. Like what, and why is that exactly? So I I, I mean, I think it's really well built um, both episodes together in terms of like get sucking you right in with this, you know, headless torso Mm -hmm. story. And then he's, you know, posing as a deaf mute flat chested lady, allegedly. (laughs) And, yeah. and like, and why we haven't in even Galveston, to, why? And then he's a super rich guy. And then he had this other, you know, he had a wife who disappeared. And then the current wife, I believe they're still married. The current wife, Deborah, mm-hmm. who is also like a really lack of affect, impatient, thinks she's smarter than everyone weirdo, just like him. How long have you been married? She's like, mm, I'm not sure. I think we got married last year. Like, uh, what? Yeah. 
Is that how people are with anniversaries? That's interesting. Eve, you were saying? Well, I mean, I and, and I feel like it's significant to note too that you know I don't. Does this count as a spoiler if it's real life? Um, if it does, then it's a I'll spoiler. Spoil but, it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Jinx slash real life tragedy spoiler. <laughs> So we we have another, there's another homicide in between um, Galveston and um, his wife's death too. There's Susan Berman, who who I assume we're going to get to at some point, this journalist who was dealing with him and that we have, you know, that we have, we've been able to fill two episodes and we haven't even gotten to this other murder yet. It's just like, how are they going to be able to pack it all into six episodes? I'm now wondering. That's, that's the spoiler. Mm. Sorry. Susan Berman. Everybody's dying left and right. Yeah. Oh, I hope you weren't spoiled for the whole case. Well, the That's only reason I say that. I had that, no idea. Yeah. Well, I said, because I was watching this with, with my husband, who was paying attention. It's not like he was, like, you know, playing Candy Crush or something. Right. And I said, I said, you know, well, he's obviously free now. This is in the middle of the second episode. And he's like, no spoilers. And I'm like, he's sitting there in a sweater. <laughs> but... <laughs> He's, yeah, he's well, in a hotel suite. He's not in jail. So the same style suite that Oprah interviewed Lance Armstrong in. I I will point out, and Dr. Phil talked to Dina Lohan in. It's like that's the way you interview disgraced people now. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's also uh, I have a true crime blog called The Blotter, and I made a bingo card of like standard shots that you will see in true crime shows, including the super tight close up on the alleged killer, so mm-hmm. you can't see the jailhouse scrubs uh-huh. and you can't yeah. tell what actually ended up happening right and at like minute 42 they'll pan out once they get to that part and it's like oh he's in he's in the orange pajamas got right. it speaking of super tight close-ups is it just me or does robert durst not have eyelashes oh god those blinks those blinks what does so, he have and it seems like his eyes are like his pupils are bigger than the average person's pupil too like he's hard to look at and it's weird because when they show the archival footage of him and kathy especially at first i was like Oh, they're really in love. Like some of them, they really look happy. He that never should have given up that that store in Vermont and gone to work for his dad. You guys, that was beginning of the end. For him. <laughs> that was that was a weirdly touching moment where he's like, "I just want to have a health food store in yeah. Vermont." Uh, but the uh, the flip side of that is he's on the lamb and yeah. he's <laughs> shaving. And he's got something like fifty thousand dollars in his trunk of his car, and he's got a wallet full of money. And he decides to steal a delicious uh, hoagie from Wegman's <laughs> Deli. First of all. I mean, I know they're good. They are really good. <laughs> the, the reference in our intro is one time when I was in college, a friend of mine, we, li- we lived just north of the border above Buffalo um, in St. Catharines. And we drove over for the day, a friend of mine and I, to go shopping. Something we call locally going, going over, over the river because you go over the Niagara River to Buffalo or Niagara Falls. And we went to Wegmans because he loved the sandwiches there. And he w- went and ordered it. And they have like a bar and they make them fresh and stuff. And so when the guy was making it, at the end of it, he handed it to my friend Chris and said, oh, you in for something. You in for something good. <laughs> it's true. He was in for something good, you guys. Wegman sandwiches are, bar none, the best grocery store. Uh, better than Subway, for sure. Uh, and he gets anyway. some cold cuts a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If he would, 
Nikki Woods. That's right. <laughs> so now. So, Sarah, you you called it in your post one of the classic dumb criminal mistakes, but was it a mistake? Because the voice, whoever the narrator was at that point, whoever was the arresting officer, described it as like he wanted to get caught. But I don't think it was that he wanted to get caught or that he was dumb. I Well, I guess, I mean, it is dumb because he thought he could get away with it because he'd gotten away with everything else. And then he was mistaken. But I don't think it was an oversight. I think it was just cockiness. Well, it, you know, Law enforcement, at least the kind of law enforcement who are interviewed for programs of this type, are fond of saying that a lot of criminals catch themselves. Yeah. And I think that's true because just most people aren't that smart and they'll fuck up and get caught. I think Durst is probably pretty bright, but I don't think this was one of those, like, cry for help. No, no, no. Please catch me before I kill another sandwich or whatever. (laughs) I think he just is one of those people who has been really rich and insulated from the way other people have to interact with the world right. forever right. and doesn't get it. We've talked about this in terms of like the girls bike club and like, mm-hmm. when do you, when do famous people stop being yeah. able to remember what it was like to just be a person? Mm-hmm. And he never knew, which I think is between the interview and the hoagie thing, yeah. I think is clear. It's like how, or like the old saw about how rich people never carry cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or that, like that, that moment in the queen of Versailles, which I assume you've also seen where she's renting a car from Hertz. And then she's like, okay, sounds good. And when, when will he meet my driver? Cause she's so rich. She thinks <laughs> the rental car comes with one. All right. So anyway. speaking of bingo, let's just run down, you know, since we have so many true crime fans here on the podcast, <laughs> all the things that, all these success ingredients, right? So we got... For the series. We got Crazy Dude. Yeah. For sure. He's rich. Oh, yeah. He's got a demanding family, right? That's one of the things he's got. Mm-hmm. He's got a demanding he's got slash maybe issues. demented from what we've heard about his dad in episode two. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful wives slash women, I guess. Well, one beautiful wife well, okay. and one wife. Right. Mom threw herself off the roof. Right. And I mean, dad it made open. him watch. That was the craziest part of that story. I was like, back up. Why did the dad make him go look? I had, had her standing on the roof. That was the craziest thing to me. Yeah. I, should we spoiler this, actually? It's from episode two, yes? Yes. And Dave, and I knew... I- <laughs> Uh, Jinx spoiler two spoilers ahoy fun ahoy mm-hmm. and also spoilers uh, workmen are in our backyard you're gonna be hearing some hammering <laughs> okay go ahead Eve sorry well when they're talking about Durst's mom's suicide they show a newspaper article and so of course I paused it to read it and it actually it's not just how he described it oh mom's on the roof and she waved at me and it was no big deal it, like there were multiple firefighters there with ladders there were people trying to talk her down so it was a whole huge scene that apparently ended in her death which ruined my theory that uh, dad killed her and durst was covering for him because apparently there were lots of people there but i mean it was there was like a whole to do around like this event which is why i think that perhaps durst did not actually have that experience but that he had been told Mm. about it and read about it and everything so much that he sort of manufactured that memory like someone will be talking about shortly as i understand it yes (laughs) later on Mom doesn't know how to fly. She just dropped. <laughs> oh now God. she's dead and you're sad. Oh, now you're going to kill people. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> well, I don't have the. I got to yeah, make it up on the fly. No, that's true. You do. So what, uh, are, the, what case, are the other well, elements? Sorry, in case you weren't here for the spoiler, you're going to hear people hammering and stuff. I don't know if I said that inside the spoiler. I can't so remember either. You skipped it. We got work people around. Okay. My apologies. So b- back to the bingo list. Amateur yeah. sleuths. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah, that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, they're like... Um, uh, they're like a cooking club or a joy luck club or something like that. You <laughs> the know? Be- they're the best uh, Montauk ladies detective agency. Yeah, exactly. yes, yes, yeah. Westchester murder mystery. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Um, uh, you have his participation. Yep. Thinking that he's going to control the story. Mm-hmm. Probably wrong. You have defense attorney with multiple fabulous hats. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, unsolved mysteries, which are the, or unsolved cases, which are the, most compelling cases, always. Uh, glam- Black glamorous f- for person coming back to relive her, uh, the one that got away in Janine Pirro, who's now a judge on TV, I think. Oh, yeah. Or a course, or maybe she's just like a legal correspondent or something, but I know I'd heard of her before and not in the context of having been a DA. I feel like she's been on that Dr. Drew live show. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, With that's Nancy where I've seen her, right. All those other bottom feeders she looks great anything else that we're forgetting uh, hilarious german landlord <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't my type i can't do the accent but that was <laughs> yeah yeah it's got a lot of elements and it. it is i mean i'm not a true crime you know person but it was compelling mm-hmm. i do want to see how it ends up and knowing what that first spoiler was is very interesting. And we should say... There's we, so much more to the story. Apparently. We did a mini post about it this morning, but uh, HBO has put the full episode up online. It's on YouTube to watch the first uh, the, the series premiere. So even if you don't have HBO and haven't, quote, borrowed, unquote, an HBO Go password from somebody else, uh, you can watch the first episode and see if it's worth continuing to investigate, no pun intended. I assume everybody here will be continuing to investigate. Yeah, yeah. I'm yes, way into definitely. it, especially after episode two, which was like a great leap forward, I thought. Yeah. Hi, Livy. Hi, Mom. So it turns out that all along this has been season eight. <laughs> I know, I messed up. <laughs> it's okay. Thanks, honey. I don't know why no one corrected me. I was right. going to. <laughs> just kidding. So we just finished watching season eight, episode four of Face Off. <laughs> Yay. Can you describe the challenge for me, please? This was, um, they chose, um, a card and, um, they had to make a character out of those that card and it was individual challenge number one yes what kind of card uh it's called a playing card a playing card yeah like with card games like um would poker have this yes poker (laughs) would have this okay (laughs) Um, and so they used the face cards to make their characters Okay. And what style did the characters have to be in? What do you mean, what style? They had inspiration. Do you remember what the inspiration was? Do you remember the guy's name? Mm, No. It had to be in the same theme as Tim Burton characters. 
Oh, okay. Do you remember what <laughs> Tim Burton's characters usually look like? Um, something that would maybe be from Alice in Wonderland, yeah. maybe? Yeah, mm-hmm. It's, he's kind of quirky and whimsical. What's whimsical? Kind of <laughs> silly. It's okay if you don't know how to explain this to a six-year-old. <laughs> Thank you, my sweet. <laughs> All right. So, who was the winner this week? Emily. What did she do? Um, she did Queen, the Queen of Hearts. Did you like her, her makeup? Yes, she was my favorite. And I've been noticing every week she does fancy hairdos. Yes, she does. She's very good with hair. Maybe she's a hairdresser. Maybe. Never know. <laughs> we could probably look it up after this. <laughs> okay. And who's the loser this week? Daniel. What did he do? Um, He did the Queen of Diamonds because, you know, he probably lost because... He doesn't really hold a stick of lipstick in his hand all the time, or one in his pocket. Right. He said that he's never done beauty makeup before, which usually looks like um, lipstick and, and eyeshadow and stuff like that. And the other contestants have more experience with that. Yep. Do you remember how long he said he'd been doing makeup? Eight months. Yeah, so that's pretty good for eight months. Yep. And he said on the show that um, that it was pretty awesome because Emily said, when you need to do eyelashes, just tell me. Mm-hmm. That was pretty nice of her, actually. It was nice of her. They're pretty nice to each other on this show. Which is good, unlike Homeway Runway. Project Runway? <laughs> Project Runway. <laughs> yeah. You're, She's not allowed to watch you're that. You're not there yet. <clears throat> Okay, well, I guess that's fair. I'm only six. Thanks, hon. Um, do you have a favorite contestant? <laughs> yep. Would you like to share that with me? <laughs> yes. I like Emily a lot. <laughs> You're going for her? Yeah. Cool. Um, what is your favorite card game? I don't really play card games. I don't really know card games. What are their card <laughs> What card games are there? What about, like, have you ever played Go Fish? Yeah, I like Go Fish. And have you ever played uh, Texas Hold'em? No, <laughs> but I have played Crazy Eights. Good. Have you ever played Hearts? Uh, what's Hearts? Hearts. What's Hearts? A card game. Jim? <clears throat> huh? Romy? Nope. <laughs> All right. Uh... I can't think of any other card games right now. <laughs> poker. Poker, yes. Texas Hold'em is a kind of poker game. Okay. Um, <laughs> what do you think a royal flush is? What's a royal flush? That's what I'm asking you. What do you think it is? What's a flush, at least? <laughs> that's, that's the question. If I tell you, what is a royal flush? What comes to mind? Something that would be royal. <laughs> a royal the cape thing, cloak thingy. Yeah, you think that a royal flesh is a cloak? Yeah! That's not where I thought that was going. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> well, thanks for speaking with me this week, Liv. You're welcome. See you next week. <laughs> Bye, honey.
Every week we send a couple questions, and that royal flush was mine because I really thought I was going to be something. Is it a toilet kink set on? Ah. Better man than we are. I also have to add, Leah texted me after she recorded this and was like, for the record, she does know what whimsical means. She just didn't want to make it extra long by trying to. uh, She's worried about making her segments too long. Uh Uh-huh. All right, it's time to go around the dial. And I was doing research for something else, and I rediscovered the one of the. I I think previously in this podcast, maybe in Mark One, I did a uh, the most Canadian uh, commercial ever. Oh yeah, and it wasn't this one, but it, this one might actually be the most Canadian commercial ever. So uh, let's hear it. Setting up the scene, it's winter. They're outdoors. They're at the edge of the woods, and kids are playing hockey. Sides. Wait a minute, I got Johnny. Come on. Guess that means Albert. Hey, he's your kid, brother. You take him. We're gonna get him this time. Come on, Albert. At Canadian Tire, we carry the best names in hockey. Bauer, Cooper, CCM, Jaffa, and Coho. But good equipment is only a beginning. How far you go depends on you. Smash cut. Where are we? We're at some sort of big, giant stadium. What's going on, guys? (laughs) I sure wish we had a guy like Albert. Yeah. And for some reason, Albert is wearing a hockey jersey on the back. It says Albert because he's playing in the hockey league where everybody uses his first names on the jerseys. Yeah, that's that's pretty Canadian. Yeah, it is. For, for a country that the old $5 bill or the last yeah. iteration of the $5 bill had kids playing street hockey on the back of it. It wasn't no, even street hockey. hockey. Yeah, it was, it was pond hockey. hockey. Yeah. Pond hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Albert from uh, Rags to Riches. Uh, way to go. Uh, Canadian Tire. Also, the uh, Canadian Tire is the... Um, Boy, what's the equivalent? Sort of like Pet Boys meets Target. It's a really weird kind of store. And uh, it's, it's also the store, store where they have their own currency. Yes. When you buy something at Canadian Tire, you get something like 5% of your receipt back in fakey Canadian Tire money. In addition money. to real money. It's yes. not like they substitute it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So your, change only, your change only comes in Canadian so Tire money. So like but, green stamps? Uh, yeah, sort of. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, affinity dollars or whatever. Anyways, I... Uh, that. It, this is a really well-known ad in Canada, yeah. but is also it ran forever. It's also one of those things where it's like a you know facepalm ad. It's like, come on, Canada, <laughs> really? Like the kid should have been drinking Labatt's Blue in the background or something just to make it perfect. <laughs> All right, Eve, what do you got for us? So, um, the trailer for Marvel's Daredevil dropped uh, late last week, and um, so this is not anything to do with the Ben Affleck movie from whenever ago, which was terrible, and Ben Affleck was smug, and everything about it was, it was awful, it was an awful movie. Um, But, so this is a show that Netflix is going to be running in April as part of this huge deal that it put together with Marvel, where Netflix is going to have, I think it's a four different uh, Marvel shows plus, a, no, I guess three different Marvel shows and some sort of miniseries. It uh, has a 
vaguely interesting cast. Uh, Deborah Ann Wool, who uh, you might remember, she was Jessica on True Blood. That was sort of a thankless role, but she's very pretty, and I think she did the best she could with you know that crap that threw at her. Um, <laughs> Charlie Cox plays the Daredevil character. Yeah. Who, yeah. See, I didn't watch Boardwalk Empire because it was so boring, but. Um, I guess I guess he has a good character. Wait, which so one's he? he's the he Irish. was a Owen Slater. Oh, Owen. Okay. Yeah, Owen. All right, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what any of that means, but that sounded like a positive. Yeah, he was good. So there, mm-hmm. yeah, he has very irritating sunglasses um, mm. um, in the trailer, but you know, whatever, Why? he's blind, so that's the deal. But no, they're, they're not like I don't know. That's, these are not the sunglasses I would wear were I blind. Um, and uh, <laughs> but fair, the best... he can't see them. Yeah, he could be wearing those like two thousand and five <laughs> New Year's oh. Eve glasses. He wouldn't know. <laughs> Oh, my God. These are all jokes we made about Stevie Wonder in, like, middle school, right? Um, but, you know, to me, the most interesting casting news is that Vincent D'Onofrio was playing Kingpin. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the character that Michael Clark Duncan played in the movie. But Michael Clark Duncan, you know, God rest his soul, was not mm-hmm. the world's greatest actor. You hired him because no. he was huge. Yeah. D'Onofrio can make, you know, is, like, the bright spot in a <laughs> lot of crappy things. You your own joke things. about being huge, I guess. Yeah. Well, there you is know what, though? Brando-y, um, <laughs> He he looks singularity <laughs> approaching. He's, a, he's in his horizontal hold years. In in the trailer, Stealing he looks Ford D'Onofrio. He looks slender though. He can just mm. be spanked all to hell. Sure. But for D'Onofrio, it's early criminal. Okay. It's early CI, not like CI towards the end when he's all gray right. and unshaven. It, 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 you just it's like not just rolled out of his trailer. D'Onofrio, but but also no, it, in no, the no. comics, Kingpin is like big. He's not yeah. fat, but he's just like, a, he's a brick wall, but also he's like right. very fast and agile. Like he's a big yeah. guy, but he's not like a, a a lump of fat. So it'd be interesting to see how well, D'Onofrio I'm, can handle that. I'm glad you brought up the comics, Dave, because that's one of the reasons that I'm saying that I think that there are possibilities for this to actually be decent. Because as opposed to, I'm going to stop talking about the movie because there's, you know, it's like, it's a dog turd that they have to scrape off their shoe, mm-hmm. but you know, they either will or they won't. Right. Um, but the comic book has had some really great arcs. Uh, Frank Miller did an arc way back in the day that everyone really loved. And um, there was a arc in 2010 that was really terrific and really dark by Brian Michael Bendis. So, you know, there's a, a, there are a lot of legit, a lot of being a very loose term, but this is Netflix, a lot of legit uh, Daredevil fans out there that I think have, you know, a certain level of expectation for the show. And I think that the other thing that makes this possibly good is that since my understanding is that with most orders of shows, Netflix doesn't expect a pilot and then, you know, Tinkers, obviously they don't need to tinker with episode order like a lot of shows that we would see on um, network like Constantine, not that Constantine is comparable. Um, you know, they aren't going to mess around with that sort of stuff. They make an order and then you deliver the show. Right. And that's worked out for them, I think, with, mm-hmm. you know, Orange is the New Black, House of Cards. And even though I know you guys are not a fan, I will even classify Hamlock Grove as, like, <laughs> relatively successful in that it's, it's unflinchingly crazy. I'm not, I mean, not Hamlock a fan. Grove, we just haven't seen it. Oh, I thought Sarah didn't like it. Maybe I imagine that. Mm. Anyway, was well, warned away from it, but yeah, yeah. you're missing it. out if you like if you are like werewolves and teenagers and blood. But anyway, that's beside <laughs> the point. I, you know, I will Marvel let Netflix or you know the people making this show, Drew Goddard and other Buffy and Abrams people get that crazy i think that's dubious especially if you've ever read song of spider-man which if you haven't you should it's amazing it's by the guy who did the book for the spider-man broadway show and it's a fascinating book for a lot of different reasons about why this show was a flop but one of them you know 
arguably is that Marvel is incredibly controlling about their properties now, maybe because they were burned in the past by things like that terrible Spike TV show based on Blade. So I think that given oh, yeah. how controlling Marvel is, remember that? Remember, yeah, oh, God, I it was now, so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't think that this show is going to be that. I don't think it's going to be Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think if it was going to be Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they would have put it on the real TV. Right. But then again, maybe they just want to have swears. I don't know. Well, so, Netflix also, like, this whole package deal that they made, it was sort of, like, pitched as Marvel's street team. Like, it was, a, mm-hmm. it was like, a smaller, you know, setting. You know, it wasn't quite as broad as the greater, whatever they call it, Marvel universe. Right. So they're smaller stories. They're more contained. And that, you know... At least they're setting expectations, mm-hmm. you know, from the start. Whereas I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, being so close to, you know, the Avengers and all that right. kind of stuff. Like, everybody knew it was going to be, you know, oh, Iron Man, you just missed him kind of a show. <laughs> but He was like, just here. Yeah, exactly. That's what's kind of impressive about Agent Carter. Like, wow, they really got Dominic Cooper. No kidding. And and Neil McDonough in the last episode, too. That was I was impressed. Yeah. And I think, like, for the kind of stories Netflix can tell, it makes sense to just sort of have a smaller, you know, world to work with and not be so worried about connecting it with everything and having the Mm -hmm. burden of like, oh, you know, like, you know, Captain America didn't show up or whatever, you know, like it just makes more sense. And I think that's Or even just like, oh, somebody else has the rights for the X-Men. So we can only sort of allude to them in a funky way. And it's sort of dumb and stupid. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I think that, the trailer also, the show looked expensive. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it didn't look just all green and, hey guys, you know, so I feel like, you know, <laughs> well, you know what I mean though, right? It doesn't look all tennis ball. Right. So I feel like that there is a possibility there and D'Onofrio has made it a definite, at least I'm going to give it a shot in April. Sarah. Speaking of law and order properties, SBU hmm. turned it around. It's gotten so much less annoying in calendar year 2015. And I'm actually not sure why that is. Uh, Benson has toned it down somewhat with the always um, being almost about to cry. Uh, And we hear about Noah, her foster son, but we don't see him and he's not taking up whole episodes with a subplot. Amaro, who is my least favorite character on NBC, I think, had a (laughs) taking it personally episode all of his own the, uh, a couple weeks ago uh, with his dad. And it was and not bad. Yeah, that should have been murderously annoying. It should annoying. have been unbearable. But I his- should have stepped out a window, but <laughs> he learned from Ice-T's stink eye. I think if you go back in the previously archives, the uh, lead photo I used for that was him on the stand, just yeah. setting something on fire with his mind. Yep. And Pino, for whatever reason, like got a haircut, got a little bit of a tan, put on 10 or 15 pounds and just generally is like being way less annoying. Yeah. Well, Armand Dante played his dad. So that may have made him step up his game effort wise. That's true. Plus, they paired him with uh, Peter Scandavino last week, uh, Sonny Carisi on the show. And uh, it was a pretty handsome sandwich yep. there. Um, <laughs> I'm not getting comfortable with it being you know, a C plus instead of a C minus and Benson's let me explain to do something routine with the post rape drama is really getting old and she's got to stop. Yeah. And I've been watching a lot of old episodes recently. And despite some hair 
missteps. She used to be so much cooler. Really like did. totally forget that she was kind of rad in yeah. like seasons two and three. And then it all just became whisper crying. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to not actively dread certain headlines that are getting ripped. I don't think Gamergate is going to be a particularly nuanced investigation of this particular episode this Wednesday, but... (laughs) Will it be uh, worse than the second last episode? That's the question. Oh, my God. I still (laughs) love that episode. I know you do. Love it. Vixie Platinum (laughs) forever. (laughs) That one was just on the other day. I have to also give a shout-out to USA, which is where I think most, if not all, of the reruns are. I guess it's sold in syndication elsewhere, but they are the best at throwing together, like themed marathons and sometimes it's just they don't even care it's like angry elliot marathons like that's every episode that's all (laughs) but because it was the grammys on sunday their theme on saturday which i watched was uh the grannies and it was all episodes where grandmothers get up to crazy shit (laughs) and it was amazing that's awesome it was great uh every episode you're like how the hell are they gonna work a grandmother into this one there was always a way and it was awesome that is impressive i know for that idea to make it through all the levels of management to get to air that whoever started that yeah they should get like a a medal to wear around their necks <laughs> as they walk around usa studios i think so too amazing uh i just wanted to first of all since, since sarah mentioned law and order say in passing there are rumors as of late last week that nbc is considering reviving law and order for a limited 10-episode series, which I think we all hope fucking happens, especially since the rumor is that they... Well, it said original cast, which literally could mean anything. But I think it would be like... It will not mean Michael Moriarty. I I was just going to say, that's what I want. And all about abortion. Every episode about abortion. Crime? He's got to be too old now. Like, right? He's got to be in his 70s. No? Maybe not. I don't I mean, think old is doing... the issue. Oh, I know, I know. But I mean, even <laughs> I think for... ran for prime minister of Israel from Alberta is the issue. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying that they couldn't even think God about it because he's got to be in his Shine right? on you, crazy DA. I know. Got, so we'll be watching this story very closely and giving you updates as soon as it gets out of the rumor phase. But I wanted to actually talk about Jane the Virgin, which um, I've been writing about all this season on the on previously TV. Um, it's such a delightful show. Really, it's like a basket of Hershey Kisses every single week. It's so sweet and charming. Um, if you don't know, the story is this girl, Jane, who is a virgin, um, gets uh, artificially inseminated by accident when she goes in for a routine pelvic exam because her, her gyne is distracted. And then it turns out that she's been inseminated with the sperm of this guy that she had a crush on a million years ago. Anyway, things happen. All of that is beside the point because the main reason to watch the show is Rogelio, her father, played by Hami Camille. I, I know it's cheap to keep writing about him every week because he will retweet it and then we get like thousands of shares on the stories. But he legitimately is the best thing about that show. He is so, so, so funny. Um, apparently he comes out of telenovelas for real. Um, but his storylines are almost all uh, comedic on the show and he just fucking goes for it. And they have really been very judicious about how much they use him because they could overuse him. He's that funny. But um, it's usually just a sprinkling of him in every episode. And I adore him so much. His takes, his hair, his faces. Last week he did a vision board like he's just 100 <laughs> percent delightful. Um, and if you haven't checked out that show, you really should. It's it's quite sweet. Has anyone else seen it? 
Oh, I love it, it, every subscript and superscript, every sort of type like setting thing or something. There's a great joke in it and it's yes. not too arch. That's what I like is that it's self-aware, yep. but it's not posing. It's not danger five, you know? Yeah. They also do really funny things where they like they do recaps on the fly, like they'll pause the action and then have like types typing over the screen where they like say this is so-and-so she's so-and-so's girlfriend blah 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 and then they have a narrator that's also very witty and arch as well so uh yeah it's great highly recommended please watch jane the virgin okay excuse me it is time for the canon and eve has brought us something take it away eve well, so today we are talking about Never Again, which is season four, episode 13 of The X-Files, known, I guess, in maybe my social circle as Scully gets some, but <laughs> I don't think she actually does. I thought anyway, that this, too. I don't know. It's yeah. weird, right? That's how, I, like, um, like Durst, I had a specific memory <laughs> of Scully get, and like someone we're going to talk about in a minute, I had a specific memory of Scully getting some, but she doesn't actually. But anyway, I'm jumping ahead. The point is, this is actually, I did not realize it when I chose this episode, incredibly timely. This show first aired on February 2nd, 1997. Oh, wow. So, if you had had a baby, which, thank God, none of us did, the day that that show aired, this baby could vote or get drafted today, but the show still feels very timely to me, and it's not just because I am very, very old. Um, so we open up on this guy that I think is probably more familiar to people now. His The character's name's Ed Jurse, and he's played by someone who, at the time, was basically just a swimmer and a model. Um, his real name is Rodney Rowland, which, for some reason, seems hilarious to me. Um, on the show, Rodney Rowland! Um, so, uh, but his character's name is Ed Jurse, so we'll stick with Jurse. Um, his divorce was just finalized in Philadelphia court, we learn. And um, then he goes to a bar after his divorce is finalized. The pretenders play in the background because that's what plays when you feel terrible about yourself. And he puts his <laughs> cigarette out on his own face in a photo of him with, I assume, his kids. Um, as he's staggering out of the bar, and of course... The pouring rain, he uh, sees some uh, really pretty traditional flash tattoo art in uh, the window of this tattoo joint. Um, then we see him back at his apartment, which looks like something straight out of the movie Seven. He <laughs> removes his bandage, which you should not do for 24 hours after you get a tattoo, folks. Um, and then you. he collapses. On, yeah, right? That makes me crazy. Annoying. And then he collapses anyway, on the floor. Sorry. <laughs> like, shrug emoticon. Don't do that. Um, so he, he falls on the floor and we we see that he has this, you know, pinup girl tattoo with this banner that reads Never Again, show title, drink, um, in a banner beneath the tattoo. Uh, after the credits, we're in way more familiar territory. It's Mulder and Scully uh, talking to some Russian guy about something. It doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. The point is they're near some sort of public memorial. Scully wanders off. She doesn't care about what's happening and starts picking at some left behind roses, which means something. Um <laughs> Then we're back with Jurse, who's now sweating the previous night in some sort of, you know, wolf of boiler room kind of job. He's selling penny stocks to what we described in the 90s, perhaps as housewives. In the middle of this call, he starts hearing a woman's voice calling him a loser. He uh, thinks it's someone in his office taunting him, so he goes apeshit throws some stuff around, he gets sent home. Um, but he's not the only white guy who's having problems today. Um, back at X-Files HQ... Mulder is stomping around because he has to take a vacation, but he's so dedicated. It's so sad. And um, you can tell that Scully is over it. Finally, she cracks, and that's time for our first clip. 
Here's a few things for you to keep an eye on while I'm down. Why don't I have a desk? What do you mean? I was assuming that that was your area. Back there. Okay, so we'll, we'll have them send down another desk and there won't be any room to move around here, but we can put them really close together face to face. Maybe we can play some battleship. God, Mulder Shut cannot up, read. I know, God, he's the worst. He <laughs> cannot read a room and he keeps on scolding Scully, who I'll just note in case anyone's forgotten, Scully is a graduate of medical school and law school. Mulder, I don't know what he has, like probably like a BA in porn. I mean, and somehow got a job with the FBI. But still, he's going to tell her what to do. He's he, definitely an English major. That's all I'm saying. As an uh, English major. Oh, you know what he is? He's an MFA candidate who didn't finish. That's who he is. <laughs> right. um, but you know, he so he's uh, you know riding Scully. You uh, didn't pay attention to the Russian guy. He's mansplaining to her that she has to go to Philly and do some stuff. And so then she gives him this sick burn. Just another clip. I'm not going. What do you mean? Your contact, while interesting in the context of science fiction, was, at least in my memory, recounting a poorly veiled synopsis of an episode of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Eeny, meeny, chilly, beanie, the spirits are about to speak. Rocky and Bullwinkle are looking for an obsidasium mine. Boris Badenov alters the road signs, which causes them to walk onto a secret military base where they are picked up by a car with no windows and no door locks, and there are silent explosions from a compound called Hushabum. So you're refusing an assignment based on the adventures of Moose and Squirrel? Refusing an assignment? It makes it sound like you're my superior. Oh, that's right, Scully. He is not your superior! He is not! But... Anyway, um, you know, that's it for those guys for now. Uh, we're back with um, Jers. He's uh, working from home. Those are air quotes. Um, he's trying to make amends with work. It's not working. Um, he's not going to get that awful-looking job back. He hears the voice again, this um, female voice. And, you know, if you're listening and you've recently watched Inside Man, which is on HBO all the time, you'll realize, hey, it's Jodie Foster. <laughs> she's... In in this episode, she sounds way like she's having way more fun than she has in years. But she does kind of sound like your inside man character. Um, and this is also where, as I mentioned to my colleagues on the podcast, if you decide to watch this episode again um, after listening to this, I urge you to watch it on headphones. This, I mean, I've already sounded like a huge dork, so I'm over it. But there's this really cool sound design um, where you feel like the, her voice is really swirling around in your head. It's a nice note given that in 97, they probably weren't expecting you to watch the show on headphones and you wouldn't have you know, appreciated it at the time. So it's I, – I don't know. I really appreciate, though, that they did that little thing back then because it really works. I was watching it on the bus on the phone. I know. I'm awful. I'm like that. And I was just like, ah! I actually made some noise. Everyone thought I was weird. Anyway, <laughs> so Jerse has decided – we're back to the show now – that um, his downstairs neighbor is fucking with him, trying to drive him nuts with this voice. And you know, she's trying to get into his head. So to the strains of Doesn't Somebody Want to Be Wanted, which is a Partridge family song, he bursts into her apartment and he kills her. It's a legit creepy scene because you don't actually see the violent act. You just see the follow-up where he's lugging her body down to the building's furnace or boiler or whatever is in all the Friday, not Friday, no, I guess like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies where you have like that thing with a flame burning in your basement. I don't know. I don't have one in my apartment, but I live in California. You hear the voice again, and now she's praising him. And that's sort of the moment I think that he realizes that his tattoo is speaking to him, which takes us to our next clip. 
attaboy, lover. From now on, I'm your right-hand gal. You and me. As long as I'm with you, no one will ever hurt you. Never again. I mean, that's awesome, right? I would totally throw a body in a fire if someone said that to me. So I get it. Um, but despite Scully's assertion that she's not going to go to Philly, the next thing you know, there she is. She's in Philly. So uh, despite Scully's assertion that she's not going to Philly, she's there staking out a scene in Little Russia. She's led to that same tattoo parlor that we remember from the pre-credits, where she's uh, called to the back by the proprietor. He's conferring with uh, Jerse, who seems to think that the tattooer can somehow fix the uh, talking tattoo. And that's our next clip. Miss, miss, you, you like this on his arm? Eddie? The, uh, the color, the, the, the red on the lips, it's extraordinary. Something I find in Soviet prison. I tell him, everyone gets tattoo they deserve. Beautiful, cheap, thought I thought I was your girl. Tattoo reflect on body what lies in person's soul. You'd break my heart over it. Did you get them all done in prison? Yes. Use the sewing needle, paper clip. You talk to her. And I'm going to be bad. I find grasses grow in prison yard, uh, rye and such. Only use now on that tattoo. Yeah, he said urine. (laughs) It is what it is. Uh, Tattoos are an ugly business. But um, even though he's talking about urine, uh, you can still... the, The... chemistry that you feel between Scully and Durst. It's palpable, but that's what you might expect when you've got a smart hottie who's been cooked up with a dark, like, Mulder, and she's meeting a swimmer slash model in a tight t-shirt. Durst, you know, despite all his problems, asks Scully out, but she begs off. However, she has a frustrating phone call with Mulder in the following scene, where Mulder is predictably a jerk yet again. The next thing you know, Jerse is sitting in his apartment in the dark, listening to, to his tattoos, same misogynistic things, and, hey, it's Scully on the phone. Now he's got a date. Just to be safe, he now puts his cigarette out on his tattoo, not a photo. So Jerse's car is in the shop, you know, in the shop. So Scully has to go pick him up, where his embarrassment over his shitty apartment is eased by Scully's revelation that her social life is crap-a-roo, as we hear in this clip. I don't go out very much. I think the last time I went on a date was to see Glengarry Glenn Ross, and the characters in the movie had a much better time. Oh, geez, Scully, if you thought that that movie was misogynistic, just wait for the rest of your date. She needs the good leads. <laughs> no kidding, she does. Um, Scully decides to get really wild, and oh my god. I'll get it. It is... It's my landline, which never rings. This is exciting. Wow. Someone stole the landline. Neat. Oh, it's because I call prisons. Because you you taped a... yeah, if you if you, if you if you if you talk to prisons, you uh, have to have a landline. Even those like you know the AT and T phone won't work. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, I just hung up on whatever criminal was just calling me. <laughs> I'll get, <laughs> hang up on me, will you? I'll get you in fifteen There's minutes. There's an angry tattoo in Quentin right now. Um, you like as hoagies? I was, <laughs> this one's free. Um, 
So Scully asks Ed to take her to the crappy bar uh, across from the tattoo shop instead of to somewhere nice. They sit there and drink, and Scully reveals more humanity than she has in the series to date. And we've been through about four and a half seasons. But even though the conversation is atypical of the series and the character as we know it thus far, it really feels natural. Uh, we know that Scully is a tightly round achiever, and um, we get an explanation for that that we haven't really received previously. We also get the impression that maybe she's just about had it. A theme that comes up several times in the episode comes up at this point. Is life an infinite circle, or should it be a straight line? Which one is better? Which one do we want? And then I think Scully thinks, fuck this philosophy shit. I'm sitting next to a swimmer slash model. And then we get into this next cute little tussle on this clip. I want to see it. You know, Dana, just because I marked the mountain, wanting to go forward doesn't mean that it worked. I want to see it. Come on, don't scab down. It's okay. If you're so curious, get your own. I probably should have specified that this was about his tattoo. Um... (laughs) The next, it's it's a sexy scene. It's sexier than it sounds, but it's nothing compared to the scene following, where Scully decides to get an Ouroboros, which is that snake uh, swallowing its tail. She gets a tramp stamp, but tramp stamps were different in '97. And um, she asks the tattooer, well, he actually Juris asks the tattooer to give her the tattoo in the same red that he got. This is important, you guys. The scene is really hot. I mean, and remember, back in 97, we didn't know Gillian Anderson as sort of the sexually omnivorous person in the fall or the sexually whatever person she is in Hannibal. This was really a revelation um, in terms of the Gillian Anderson, who was definitely like a poster girl at that point, uh, seeing her in that light. But even without the 90s context, I think that the scene still has legit sizzle. But despite all that sizzle, they go back to Jersa's place because it's snowy and uh, Scully should spend the night. But even though they have this odd sort of embrace, uh, Jersa spends the night on the couch and Scully spends the night in the bed. I don't know, you guys. That's the only moment of this episode that doesn't sit well with me or feel legit. But it's possible that I'm just sluttier than Scully. The next morning. Well, also, she has a t- fresh tattoo on her butt. That never stopped yeah, nobody, no my friend. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's plenty well, of ways around that. Really? Right, yeah. <laughs> David, <laughs> we'll tell you when you're I older. I'll discuss your weird sex swings. <laughs> stuff. Let's, let's move I, was, on. I was just thinking, keep the bandage on. I'm never on. working God. for the FBI. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the next morning, Scully's awakened not by pain from her tattoo or anything else, but a knock at the door, um, and she looks flawless. Of course, she woke up like that. It's Um, Cops investigating the disappearance of the downstairs neighbor, saying that some of the blood that was discovered at the crime scene was abnormal. Scully discovers by by doing a dial-up internet search, uh, the abnormality is ergot toxicity, um, perhaps due to the red in the tattoo, which Scully remembers um, the tattooer saying came from use of rye. When Ed returns from grabbing breakfast, he's all smiles. She tells him about it and says they need to go to the hospital. Ed's reaction is not what Scully expected, as we hear in this next clip. Such a relief to be able to tell someone. I hear it, Dana. In my head, only deeper. It's more than just some chemical reaction. 
she talks to me. She hates women. My wife, my boss, you. She's so jealous, Dana. She makes me do things. I don't want to. But she controls me. But I believe that you made her go away. What was that? And sorry, I'm a mess. Um, that was my dog honking something horrible. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was my dog reacting to Ed Jersey's obvious lie that no, it's not the tattoo that hates women, it's him. <laughs> um, you know, of course, it's not that easy. Uh, the love of Dana is not going to save this crazy guy, which is one of the things that I lo- really, really adore about this episode. Women are so frequently fed, oh, you know what, if you love this bad boy, then he's going to be all better, and that is completely not true in this episode, which I think is a preferable message. Um, regardless of all that, the tattoo, haha. Freaks Ed out by telling him that even though Scully has not made an effort to hide that she's a fed, uh, the tattoo says, oh, she's been trying to hide it. It's a tattoo. Jodie Foster says all this, and um, he attacks Scully. And once again, it's a honestly tense and scary scene. I mean, we're educated people. We know that this is not the one where Scully dies because her name is in the credits, but it's still scary. Scully does her able best to fight him off. She's, you know, she doesn't puss out. She doesn't, or do anything, I think, especially stupid. She does the best she can, but you really realize she's so little and he is really big. And as opposed to, you know, everything that we've seen with Buffy or whatever, when you have a really big guy and a little woman, no matter how much the woman wants to win, the big guy is always going to kick your ass. And that's what happens here, uh, but not before she tries to fight him off with some scissors she found in the bathroom. Um, The tattoo knows what to do with an unconscious Scully and says so in this clip. Another woman in my bed? Turn the sheets, lover. Burn her. Burn her! That tattoo is not nice. (laughs) So now we're back down by the basement fire thing. Scully pops out of the shroud that Ed has put her in with the scissors. She's ready to fight, but so is the tattoo. And they have the following argument. This isn't you, Ed. Go on, Eddie. Get control of yourself. Ah, but it's good to lose control. Take control. (laughs) Do it for me, Eddie. Do it. And then Jerse puts his arm in the flame. It's pretty horrible, but it shuts Jodie Foster up. (laughs) And then... You know, after that moment, we go straight to the inevitable sort of wrap-up sort of exposition scene between Mulder and Scully. And even now, Mulder doesn't get it. There's an argument here that maybe Mulder never gets it, but that's a different conversation. Um, Here's how the scene ends. All this because I... Because I didn't get you a desk? Not everything is about you, Mulder. This is my life. And I think that that's a line that probably should have been used more in this overall series. But, you know, I'm happy to have it here. There are a lot of different reasons, I believe, that this episode of The X-Files is canon-worthy. I think it has strength as a standalone episode. Even if you've never seen The X-Files, I think that you could watch this and get it and enjoy it and be engaged. I think that it's strong as a turning point in Mulder and Scully's relationship. Once again, is this carried through? 
I don't know, but I'd like to think so. And, you know, also there is the fact that the guy who plays Ed Jurist, the swimmer model, takes his shirt off a lot. Um, <laughs> back in 97, we weren't seeing as many ripped guys as we are now because it was harder to get HGH. So, you know, I appreciate that. <laughs> I also think that, you know, even 18 years after its broadcast, I still can't believe it was 18 years, it's one of the best depictions of how women are treated um, from Mulder's slights at work to Jurist's behavior at home, even though, you know, it's, it's sickening to me that, Things have not changed that much with how men talk to women at work or men talk to women at home. Um, I think that uh, it's it's completely true today. But I also like that the theme that you know misogyny is so pervasive. It's a little less sort of obvious and schoolhouse rock and dude, what are we going to do? Because so much of it comes from the tattoo played by someone that we think of as a strong woman. In fact, a strong fed. Um, but I still think that the message comes through and the message gets there and uh, it's true for today as well. So in summary, if you do not vote this episode into the canon, you hate women. Thank you. <laughs> now we're behind the eight ball. All right. Famous, famous lady hater, Tari Oriano, you go first. Um, my, my recollection of this episode, or I should say my, my mis, misrecollection was the same as yours. I remembered it as the one where Scully had sex also. And that seems clear that that does not actually occur. Um, and I also remembered a lot less Mulder in it. I was thinking as we started, like, oh, I don't know how this is going to be because not, not that I particularly care if he's in it, but it's not really a typical episode if he's completely absent, but he's, in it quite a lot and and pivotal for all the reasons that you said and a complete prick in hilarious ways. God, all the clips that you picked are so perfectly like, shut the fuck up, Malta, you dick. <laughs> He's so dismissive about her wanting a desk. Like, it's been four years. Get her a desk. What is your problem? Just move the stuff around. You will still have room to walk in that room if you have two desks. Give me a break. Um, but yeah, I think uh, this is... It, it's definitely different, but I think it's very important and it's certainly on the list of like the best episodes that people remember of the show from the run of when it was at its best. Um, so I think it's a good pick. Sarah. Um, it was, I was on its side immediately cause it's not a, it's not an alien myth arc episode. Um, I didn't mind those, but I generally prefer X files that are a little less spacey. Um, I thought the, I thought Jodie Foster was a little much. I, little I'm not a lady hater, but I'm a, kind of a Jodie What do you hater. mean, Sarah? <laughs> what was that? It was Jodie Foster. She's back. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. I mean, I know it's like a, a voice role, but she's, she's always kind of a lot. Like Silence of the Lambs was on last night, and naturally, because it's a Poppy Fields movie, I got becalmed by it. And, I mean, I don't know. I kind of just don't get it with her. It's not actively bad i just think she's overpraised um ditto uh ditto her work in this episode but there's just something about like jillian anderson is so great and there's just something about her staring dully at Mulder and just repeatedly being like you're the worst (laughs) uh that i enjoyed yep and um yeah, uh, the episode is like greater than the sum of its parts somehow. I don't know. Like I, I've seen this one a bunch of times and it was nice to revisit it. And I agree that Scully, despite wearing the next day man's shirt, that's usually the like <laughs> mm-hmm. universal signifier of having gotten some. Yep. I agree that they didn't 
capital D do it. One other she thing that her, I forgot to say. She had her suit pants on even when she got out of bed. Who yes, sleeps that in was, suit pants? I still would have taken those pants off. That was super weird just to sleep in, especially since, as you say, she just got a tattoo. Speaking of which, one thing I forgot to say was that scene where she's getting it and getting it as it were. And they, they, when they, the way they um, shoot her, the cam- the way the camera angle is on her, like, there's a reason that everybody takes their selfies from like slightly above. And it's like, she looks so mm-hmm. good in that shot compared to how dowdy she normally looks in like those enormous coats and terrible suits that are the pants. At least she wasn't short. wearing the white tights this time. Yeah, <sighs> seriously. But like that, that um, sagey colored sweater or whatever that she's wearing, like it looks, it's what she should be wearing all the time. If she asked me, which she didn't. And she should have Dave. <clears throat> I wanted this episode <clears throat> to be campier, like way, way campier for the subject matter and, you know, taking cues from Jodie Foster's uh, voice work. I felt the whole episode would have benefited from just being uh, crazier and campier. Like, I think that was the intent, you know, either that or they struck a weird, unsatisfying middle ground for me if it wasn't. Um, there's something about when Scully and Mulder are a part that I just, I can't get into with the X-Files. Like for me, when, I mean, it might be a little unfair to judge this episode by all the other future Scully alone, sad lady files episodes that are to come (laughs) where she's like, well, am I a good Catholic? Let's take a season to uh, think about it. Or, you know, childless Scully, you know, episodes and all that stuff. Uh, among my least favorite episodes are the the Scully solo episodes. Um, I do like it when they're together. They, obviously, they work best when they're together. Um, this episode didn't really seem very sexy to me. I thought the actor, uh, the guy, who's, what's his name again? Ronald? Rodney Rowell. Oh, Rodney something. Doesn't that guy sound like he should have an RV store? <laughs> Selling <laughs> RVs on the highway, big billboards. Come on totally. down to Ronnie. RRRV. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, this episode, I would say is fine. I don't think it was a bad episode, but I just don't think it was canon worthy, but the sound design was really interesting. As you say, the guy, the sound engineer was giving his pan dial a real workout during the, uh, the Jodie Foster voiceovers. They like quickly go left or right to left or right. It's a little disconcerting the first time you hear it on, um, headphones, as you say, but you know, it works for that reason. Uh, I have one note, which was the fight. Um, music, which is this. I'll play a bit for it. <laughs> which is pretty atypical for the X-Files. Yeah. It's so much like this music from Pee-wee's Big Adventure's Bike Hell scene. Evil laughs. Yep. More. Anyways, uh, also while I'm there. Is this something you could share with the rest of us, amazing Larry? Uh, no wrong time. Yeah, no wrong time for that clip. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think this episode is fine, but I don't think it's great. I don't think it really doesn't really feel like an X Files episode to me, just because you know they spend so much time apart. And Solo Scully is not really my favorite thing about the X Files. So uh, I would probably say okay, but not canon worthy. Uh, but let's see what everybody else says. Tara. Well, first of all, now we know what Dave really thinks about women. Yep. But I'm, <laughs> I'm yay. I'm, as- a, I'm against them. <laughs> 
I vote yay. Sarah? Um, it's a very good episode. Not one of my favorite X-Files episodes. I don't think it is actually one of the greatest. So this woman hater is voting x <gasps> All right, X-Files Season 4, Episode 13, Never uh, Again. Sorry. By one vote, you lose out on the canon. <laughs> All right, we don't have a no-neck submission, but since the last ep- uh, with the um, Star Trek no-neck, where we finally decided on exactly what their parameters were for no-neck, which is it's got to be really, 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 really bad, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the very worst episode i wanted to revisit dawson's creek downtown crossing which was done on our all no neck episode over uh the well, holidays we had our break yeah in, the, in october november yeah so i think it might be time for a re-evaluation of this given the new criteria because i think generally our consensus was on that episode is that it's really hard to have the worst dawson's creek episode without in an episode Dawson. without Dawson. <laughs> like Dawson was such a terrible element of Dawson's Creek that it seemed wrong. It seemed a betrayal of the no neck spirit. Dawson is Dawson the no neck of Dawson's Creek. Exactly. Like he is made of 99% no nackium. <laughs> Uh, so given the new parameters, I just wanted to do a quick revo. We don't have to rehash the episode, um, but it's the, the, uh, Joey gets mugged in Boston and episode. ends up singing to her mugger. Yeah. He dies. Um, truly a terrible episode, but let's just uh, revote on the no neck. So given the new no neck uh, rules, Tara, do you think this belongs in our no neck? Absolutely. And Sarah, uh, it's not the worst ever, but it's in the bottom three. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I also agree. So uh, with apologies to submitted that, whoever submitted that, sorry, I don't have your name in front of me. We are now rejiggering. <laughs> and that is now in the NONAC. And you can visit a new dedicated NONAC page on our website. It's like the Canon page, but I separated, separated out all the NONACs. So it is now there. So I'll move that over to the win column <laughs> for that one. American Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. Yeah, no music. Sorry. It's, uh, we don't have time. <laughs> we don't have an extra half hour for that to play out. Winner <laughs> and a loser. from laughing hysterically at it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tara. Who's our, uh, Sarah, who's our winner? Um, our winner is Chicago for a bunch of reasons. Um, namely that uh, Dick Wolf's Chicago Fire and Chicago PD are being joined by the following spinoffs. Chicago oh, Med. Boy. Chicago parking, Chicago sanitation, Chicago writer's block, Chicago, Chicago. coffee. Um, Chicago just CSI. kidding. There's actually only one of those, but uh, Empire, I believe, also shoots there. Uh, the Good Wife technically doesn't do anything there, but is based there for some reason. Like, why don't they just make it about New Jersey? Also corrupt? Yeah. Just kidding. Don't email me. Uh, so, yeah, the city is having a good TV moment, unlike oh, some people. Sirens. <clears throat> sirens, too, shoots there. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm surprised to hear that Empire shoots in Chicago. That looks pretty New York-y to me. Yes. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Windy City. Uh, loser of the Week, Brian Williams. Oh, when, I, when I put this in the dock last week, I had no idea about I how know. much worse it was going to get. So what happened was Brian Williams, I guess in 2013, went on Letterman and told a story about being in a helicopter that came under fire. And then last week had to go on his news show and say, um, just kidding. Like, it seems like something happened, but it wasn't that. 
And um, then it just got worse and worse because, of course, then everything else he ever said about anything has come under question. Now they're like, he told a story about getting mugged. Did he get mugged? Did he exaggerate his Katrina reporting? And he... Uh, Elson Williams is like, he's not even my dad. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, it really calls into question everything positive he's ever said about girls. But uh, he put himself on, on suspension <laughs> And uh, he, how noble of him. I know. And he also was supposed to be on Letterman again this week, but he canceled that appearance for obvious reasons. So this seems However, like a really weird story. I don't know why, like, this anecdote that he told on a talk show two years ago is now uh, such an issue, but whatever. Well, and it's something that happened like 10 years ago, yeah. right? Yeah. So now it's like, why not? It's weird. Like, the timing of it is weird. On right, the plus he, side, though, yes, Dateline fans, Lester Holt <laughs> is taking over the chair, and I like Lester Holt. Yes. Well, oh, yeah, he's good. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, in the annals of sketchy reporting about the Iraq war, I would say this is not in the top 5% of most egregious journalistic crimes. But anyway. I'm sure Geraldo has done five things that are worse <sighs> well, than that. Guys, Judy, well, Judith Miller still has a job. I was going to say, yes, exactly. Judy Miller does still have a job. Of sorts. But anyway, sad for Brian Williams. Uh, all this by way of saying, make sure your anecdotes are true before you tell them on a talk show. Guys, you know what time it is? Lie time? Nope. Oh. Game time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, one thing I forgot to say about that X-Files episode yeah. is uh, Jodie Foster uh, going, burn her, burn her. I, all I can think about was Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> the witch scene, yeah. John Cleese going crazy in the, in the mm-hmm. foreground. Uh, all right, everybody. Game time is here. This is the sixth, the sixth game time of the season. Tara, three points. Guess, two points. Sarah, one point. Today, Sarah Bunting, your time has come. Today, we are playing... Ripped from the headlines, Ooh. a game that will challenge your knowledge of true crime on yeah. TV. Oh. This game comes from suggestions from EHG Assist Crew on Twitter Thanks, and has guys. two rounds. Oh, my. Ooh. I'll explain the rules for each round as we go along. So for now, let's just throw it to the person in control choosing initiative or picky 3000 to see who's going to start things off. We will start with Tara. Oops. Oh. Well, there we go. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all Illusion right. ruined. Are we ready to play Rip from the Headlines? So wait, what's our order? Me, then who, then who? Oh, uh, you, and then Eve, and then Sarah. Okay. All right. Here we go. Are we ready to play Rip from the Headlines? Yes. Yes. All right. Round one. Made for TV true crime movies. Oh. I am going to describe... The plot of the movie in question. Yes. You name me the title of the movie for one point <laughs> and the lead actor for another. Sometimes okay. there's more than one lead and you can just name one of them. Okay. If you want a hint, choose to have one of the answers read to you and guess the other. You get to choose which okay. one you want as a hint. Okay. Cool. All right. Understand? Yes. All right, yep. Tara. Yep. Stacy had it all. Looks, rich parents, and she was the queen bee in high school. Things go south when she threatens new student Angela, who just wants to be her friend, that she's going to tell everyone at school that you're weird. <laughs> no, what's the movie? And what's oh. the, who's the actor there? Stacy. Um, I'll take the title, please. All right. The title 
Death of a cheerleader. Mm. And there's two possible leads here you can name. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say Tori Spelling. Yeah! Nice. <laughs> That's good for one point. Or Kelly Martin. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay, Eve. Though she became the subject of a famous rhyme outlining the gruesome crime of murdering her parents, she was actually acquitted of the crime. Oh, man. God's just smiled on me. I assume that this is Lizzie Borden took an axe and Christina Ricci. That's good for two points. Soon to be a series. Miniseries. No way! Yeah, Lifetime made a miniseries of it. Coming soon, I believe. God, speaking of inappropriate music. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah. Yep. Here's your first. The story of a school teacher who had an illicit affair with one of her underage students and eventually gave birth to two of his children. Ooh. The movie, the actor. One of my favorite true crime stories. Oh, my God. Who was uh, in it, though? I don't remember. I don't remember who's in it either, and I'm certainly not going to remember the name. Oh, man. Um, so do you want the title as a hint? Is that what? Sure. Okay. Title, All-American Girl, the Mary Kay Latorno Le- story. Oh, gosh. Who played? Latorno. Um, and I'm going to give you this. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, there's two listed. I was going to say, I, oh, I thought okay. it was two different movies, but it's the same movie, but they just listed the the, the Mary actor in another Ah, one. okay. Yeah. And the kid. Really? Um, really? Who played her? Shit. Marky Post. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like an Elizabeth Mitchell role, but I know it was Penelope Ann Miller. Oh, of oh. course. That's good casting. Yeah. Okay, back to Tara. Yeah. Boulder, Colorado is stunned when a beautiful oh, no. six-year-old girl is found dead in the basement of her parents' suburban home. Ooh. Oh, Mark Helgenberger played her mother, but I can't remember what the movie was called. Perfect Murder, Perfect Town. Right. All right. Based Good on the book point. by Mark Furman, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Back to Eve. This charming, handsome, and charismatic serial killer was responsible for dozens of deaths before being captured in Salt Lake City, Utah, and eventually executed in Florida. One of the all-time greats of TV okay, movies. So, so I, I'm thinking the lead is uh, Mark Carmen. Nice. And I, I, the, just the Ted Bundy story, or mm, ah, the deliberate stranger. Oh yeah. What? yeah. Okay. Right. I own it. all right sarah yep and there's by the way everybody gets three questions in this round okay so here's your second sarah a pregnant mother to what that's making sense okay a pregnant mother to be vanishes on i don't even know what that means a pregnant mother vanishes on xmas eve and her devoted husband and her family launch a massive search for her as no re- real leads turn up, suspicion starts to point towards the husband, who might have not been as devoted as he once seemed. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, well, it's about the Petersons, and I don't remember who played. I don't remember. Can I have the title, please? The Perfect Husband, the Lacey Peterson story. You know who played the husband. Who oh, was that on, perfect you know. husband? It's one of two people. Uh, Rob Lowe. Oh, shit. Dean Kane, right? Yep. Dean that was my choice. Princeton's Damn own it. Dean Kane, no? All right. Back to Tara. Yep. Yeah. This suburban housewife did not take kindly to the affair her doctor husband was having. 
Eventually, he moved out and divorced the wife, getting married to the young assistant he was carrying on with and taking custody of the children. God damn it. The now-divorced wife became unstable, leaving hundreds of threatening messages for her ex and ignoring restraining orders before uh, before eventually murdering the ex-husband and his wife oh. in their sleep. This is not what I was thinking of at all. Um, title? Title. <clears throat> Two titles for you. Okay. A Woman Scorned, The Betty Broderick Story. Oh, sure. And part two, Her Final Fury, Betty Broderick, <laughs> The Last Chapter. Uh, Meredith Baxter? That's okay. good for one point. Yeah. Sarah, nope. I felt you knew, you knew oh. that one. Yeah, picky screwed me. <laughs> yeah. All right, Eve. Here's your last okay. question of this round. The wealthy heir to the Fontainebleau Hotel fortune hmm. marries a stripper, but their kinky relationship quickly turns sour when he winds up brutally murdered. Oh, shit. Here's the thing. I did read about this in Vanity Fair, but I can't remember any of the details. <laughs> All right. Do you want a hint? Yeah. Give me the title. Title, Beautiful and Twisted. Oh, that was that was no help at all. I, <laughs> I give. Rob Lowe. That was on, like, last week. Damn it! <laughs> Very recent history. All right. Our last question of this round, bringing us into our score break for Sarah. The fanatically uncompromising Len Rowan... And his family insult and terrorize the citizens of a small Missouri town for years. <laughs> One afternoon, Len is shot and killed on Main Street, an event that was witnessed by up to four dozen people. But the sheriff soon learns that nobody saw a thing. Oh, man. I, I know this is, this but case. I want to see it. Uh, uh, can I have the actor? Yeah, the actor? Brian Dennehy. Okay. Um, I'm just going to guess, based on what the book was called... Uh, in broad daylight. Nice. nice. <laughs> Finally, That's she good gets on for board. one point. That All ends right. round one. Let's hear our scores. Sarah has one point. Eve and I are tied with three each. Okay, lots of game left as we head into round two. Round two's title is called Chung Chung. Oh, hey. Name the true life inspiration for these Law and Order franchise yes, episodes. Mama. <laughs> All right. So Tara starts, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to read you some information. You got to tell me the perpetrator or sort of like, you know, what the case was named. Yeah. We'll grade on a curve Okay. Here, okay. Yep. Some answers uh, have more than one, but we'll, we'll play it by okay. ear. All right. Yep. Season 17, episode 16 of Law and Order Original Rays, titled Murder Book. Green yep. and Cassidy investigate the death of a publishing agent who approved a book written by an ex-athlete that describes how he would have murdered his wife if he was, in fact, the real killer. Well, I believe this is probably about If I Did It by O.J. Simpson. I think you are correct. Okay, how many points? One? One point. Okay. All right. Back to Eve. Season four, episode 24, Perfect. This is also Law & Order Original Rays. When a girl is found dead in an alley with apparent, apparent signs of abuse, Benson and Stabler are called in to investigate. What they learn about her leads to the what they learn about her leads to the discovery of another girl who went missing a year ago, and a cult run by a man determined to clone a human and use girls who are starving for acceptance to further this agenda. Sidebar: This is SVU, not original. Oh, is it? Okay. Yes. Uh, and there are two answers here. There's this is one of those blendos. Blendos. Clone? You said clone a human? Uh-huh. Yeah, I got nothing. No 
it was Elizabeth Smart and the Raelian Cult. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. Sarah. Yes. Uh, season 10, episode 15, Fools for Love. I don't know why I'm saying a sing song. <laughs> Fools for Love. Let's hear about this terrible murder. A man is accused of raping and killing his girlfriend's sister and another victim. Prosecutors make a deal with the girlfriend for her testimony against the accused, but they also suspect that he was she was a willing participant in the murders. Oh, Never yeah. get back um, in Canada if you get this one wrong, Sarah. I know, seriously. This is a Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. That and they did is... this one a couple times. Is this the one with um, Meredith Grey? Or... I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she's, I mean, she's fucked up and really good So, as well. so creepy. Tara? Yep. Episode, sorry, season 10, episode one, Gun Show. Mm-hmm. Original, original raise. Okay. As far as I know. Yep. Gun Show. Yep. After Jack is forced to settle with a man who committed a mass murder against female medical students in Central Park, he goes. He decides to go after the gun manufacturer. Um, is it the Montreal shootings? Yeah. Okay. Montreal massacre. Mark okay. uh, Lapine. Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Eve. Female engineering students in Montreal. Special Victims Unit, Season Sixteen, Episode Eight: Spousal Privilege. A retired professional football star is captured on surveillance video knocking out his longtime girlfriend, but the victim is reluctant to leave his side. This is from this season, by the way. Okay, I was like, because obviously we have a multitude of choices, but so this is, I guess, involving Ray Rice and uh, his wife. Ray Rice? Shit, is that his name? Ray Rice? Gonna need a final answer. I, I, I'm gonna, I don't know. It just seems like so many NFO guys beat the hell out of people this year. Now I'm confused about which one it is. Um... I'm going to say Ray Rice. Shit. Ray Lewis, it says. No, that's oh. Ray Rice. That's it's from Ray Rice. Season. All right. Yes. That's oh, thank you guys. Well. Yes. <laughs> we got you. Cool. We watched that one. All right, good. <laughs> by, by that one, you mean the video of him beating his wife in the elevator? <laughs> I did not or, watch that, but I did watch Nev's the episode. Photo. Yes, and in the SVU, it all happens in an elevator, so it's Ray Rice okay. for sure. All right, Sarah, okay. here you go. SVU, season 13. Episode one, Scorched Earth. An African immigrant working as a maid accuses an Italian diplomat of rape, but is she really just in it for the money? Meanwhile, Stabler's return remains in doubt after his latest shooting. God. Um, I don't remember the guy's name, but it was a French guy, and his name was Dominique. Well, all that yeah. information is correct. I think that was pretty cool. I think close. that's good enough. Dominique Strauss-Kahn. Yes, sorry. Yes, and that whole thing. Yeah, that's fine. Like These are tough to answer, you know, the full names and all that. So we're going to grade down the curve here. So that was good for one point. Mm-hmm. Back Thank you. Back to Tara. Yes. SVU. Right. Season 7, episode 16, Gone. A female student from Montreal goes missing during a class trip to New York City after she spends a night partying with three cocky prep school boys. Um, is this Natalie Holloway? Oh, boy. It is. Correct. <clears throat> All right. Number 17. It's pretty cool. Yep. Pretty cool. SVU. <laughs> this is for Eve. <laughs> Season 10, episode 6, Babes. The grisly murder of a homeless man leads detectives to four high school uh, girls who made an unusual agreement amongst themselves. But when it gets out, somebody drives the girl's ringleader to suicide. Um, I'll give you a hint. Have, We're not looking for a person. We're looking for 
the name that the crime is known by, the case. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have not seen this episode, so I'm just spitballing here, but I don't suppose this is the Slender Man homicide. Mm, they did see that season. one, but more recently. <laughs> yeah. This is the Gloucester 18 Pregnancy Pact episode. Oh, Pregnancy oh. Pact. Yeah. All right, bring us into we'll our next score break. mom in that one? Can't remember. Debbie Mazar, I think. Hmm. Uh, all right, Sarah. Yeah. Season one, season one, episode 15 and 16 of Original Rays, The Torrents of Greed, parts one and part two. Stone makes a deal with a group of low-level mobsters when they offer to testify that a crime boss murdered a missing union leader. However, the prosecution case unravels at trial, causing all parties involved to walk. After the crime boss murder case gets thrown out, Stone turns up the heat on the witnesses who played him in order to find charges against this crime boss. In conclusion, crime boss. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I always Season skip one. these episodes because I think they're really boring. And I'm actually not sure what they're based on. Vinny the Chin. John Gotti. John Gotti. Hey. Yeah. Also right. thought he was kind of boring. <laughs> All right, 19, Tara. Yep. SVU, 16th season, yep. second episode, American Disgrace. Mm-hmm. A basketball legend is accused of raping multiple women, but what exactly, what exact, what? This makes no sense. But what exact <laughs> role did the powerful CEO of the sports apparel company who could, con- uh, fuck this. Hang on. <laughs> Let's, I just copied this and it's very poorly worded. A basketball legend is accused of raping multiple women. But what role did the powerful CEO of the sports apparel company who had a contract with him play in the situation? And there's a few answers here. This is a super mash. This is a melange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. This is the Berlin mix. And I saw it. And Terry Polo was the victim, and uh-huh. Casey Keach was her dad. Um, but I... You got so many people here that are involved. So many cases. I know, I know. Um, you just have to give me one. Kobe Bryant. Mm. Damn it! <laughs> this is the Beyonce, Jay-Z, Ray Rice, Donald Sterling mashup. Donald episode. Sterling! Right. Yeah. All right. Damn it. On to Eve. Original Ray's. Season 18, episode 18, Excalibur. While preparing a murder case, the DA's office stumbles on a potential scandal involving a prostitution business and the governor of New York. It could have serious <laughs> implications on Jack McCoy's future as a district attorney. They didn't try that hard to mask this one. No. <laughs> so, I, uh, is a Spitzer? It is. It Played is. himself. I, Just kidding. The horrible thing is at first I was going to be like, the good wife, you guys, it's based on the good wife. <laughs> okay, Sarah. Yep. Trial by Jury, Season 1, Episode 6, Pattern of Conduct. Uh, Kieber? Kieber? Is that her name? Is uh-huh. that, I don't know. Sure. K-I-B-R-E. Yeah. Anyway. Prosecutes a basketball star accused in the rape and murder of his mistress. She has to grapple with a starstruck jury, legions of sports fans, and a wealth of media coverage. The already trying case takes a new turn when the basketball player's wife has a slip of the tongue while on stand. Uh, is this Kobe Bryant? 
It is. <laughs> Benson. Thanks, Kobe. <laughs> okay. Uh, back to Tara. Yep. Original Rays, mm-hmm. Season 8, Episode 6, Baby It's You, and Homicides, oh. Season 6, uh, Episode 5, Baby It's You. Okay. A teenage supermodel dies after being sexually assaulted. A dual city investigation focuses at first on an obsessive fan and later on her father before a stunning revelation closes the case. Ooh. Uh. Murder. Teenage supermodel dies after being sexually assaulted. Dual city investigation focuses on first on a a fan. God, I don't know. Gia? I don't know. John Benet Ramsey. Oh. Oh. Okay. Huh? Aged her up. Fair enough. Yep. That's a lot under twist. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Also, yep. Star City. Yeah. Okay. Eve. Season one, episode 19, The Serpent's Tooth. Which series? Original Rays. Okay. A businessman and his wife are killed. That's it. That's all I get. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> the couple's two sons emerge as the most likely suspects, but detectives later find business ties to the Russian mob. Mm. The businessman so, and his wife are killed. The couple's two sons emerge as the most likely suspects. So is it the Menendez's? It is. Sure it is. Correct. All right, Sarah. Yep. Original Rays, season 17, episode 7. In Vino Veritas, a washed-up anti-Semitic actor is arrested with blood on his clothes. <laughs> do, I need to, do I want to read the rest of it? <laughs> Detectives later discover that a Jewish television producer he has connections with has been murdered. But (laughs) what role, if any, did he play in it? Uh, Michael Richards? Oh. Whoa. Is it Mel Gibson? It's Mel Gibson. That was a a gimme. All right. Um, If I said sugar tits or something in there, you would (laughs) have. Oh, right. That's right. Uh, Okay. So we're back to me, Tara. Yep. Here's your last question. Okay. SVU season 14, episode 16, funny Valentine. Can SVU convince an up and coming singer to break away from her abusive hip hop singer boyfriend before it's too late? Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Two points for each of your last questions. If you get both people involved. Okay. Rihanna and Chris Brown. That's good for two points. All right, Eve, here's your last question, also worth two points. SVU, Season 15, Episode 3, American Tragedy. A celebrity southern chef shoots and kills a teenage African-American boy that she <laughs> thought was a serial rapist. But, uh, but was her life in danger, or was she just an overreactive racist? Two people, real uh, life people involved here. Two cases also. Yeah, it's a mashup. One of those mashups. What do you think? Um, I'm going to go with Paula Dean. And um, I mean, this obviously could be about a zillion things, but uh, Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman? Correct. Trayvon, yeah. Trayvon yeah. Martin. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Two points. All right, Sarah, here's your last. SVU. Yeah. Season 10, episode 19, Selfish. An immature, irresponsible young mother is assumed to have killed her child, but it turns out to be part of a measles outbreak. ADA Cabot then goes after the mother of the child who started the outbreak, who refused to immunize him. So, two things, mashup. Uh, 
So Casey Anthony and and the mother who doesn't immunize anybody. Jenny McCarthy. <laughs> really? That's wow. good for two points. Let's hear them scores. Nice. All right, Sarah has six points, and Eve and I are tied with eight each. With what? Eight each. Eight each. All right, so that's. Sorry, means I got too excited. Time eight for each. Our different strokes. <clears throat> our tiebreaker between uh, Eve and Tara. Mm-hmm. First person to shout out the answer wins. Okay. You get one shout before the other person gets the answer. You can't answer more than once in a row. Okay. All right. Yep. Original raise. First season. Third episode. God. Okay. The Reaper's Helper. A gay man with AIDS is accused of murdering another gay man. However, he claims that the victim also had AIDS and that it was a mercy killing. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's the... Is this... Uh, I'm going to read it again and okay. pay attention to everything I say. Yep. Season one, episode three. Yep. The Reaper's Helper. Mm-hmm. A gay man with AIDS is accused of murdering another gay man. However, he claims that the victim also had AIDS and that it was a mercy killing. <laughs> I kind of tempted to take this call. <laughs> Sorry, I have my Mac set up to take calls from my iPhone. All right, so it was the late 80s. I mean, is it just Kevorkian? Oh, of course. Nice oh, that was a red herring. <laughs> That's why you had, to pay, you had to pay attention to the title, The Reaper's, the Reaper's Helper. Helper. Oh, Good job, Eve. Helper. Nicely done. Miss Q's plenty on this episode. Uh, that is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We, we made, made plans, plans to, to murder, murder our spouse. spouse. Jinx. Oh, you coax. <laughs> We checked in with our six-year-old face-off correspondent before going around the dial with stops at Albert, Albert, Daredevil, Daredevil, Law and Order SVU, and Jane the Virgin. Eve unsuccessfully pitched us the tattoo episode of The X-Files Never Again for the canon, and we evaluated Dawson's Creek's terrible downtown crossing for the no-next new rules, and now it's in. We crowned winners and losers of the week and the guests, valued guests, thanks to Eve, Win this week's rip from the headlines game time. Well done. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, burn her! Sarah T. Bunting. Not everything is about you, Mulder. And Eve Beatty. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, right here on Extra Hot Great. Guess what? What? I have a surprise for you. Yay! Last week, you know how I told you that when you do your podcasts, there are lots of people who listen to them? Yeah. And you have some fans? One of your fans wrote an email to Dave Cole and Tara and Sarah. Remember, remember Sarah too? Yeah. <laughs> and he, here's his note. It says, Hey, previously.tv crew. Liv's Sunflower Lion from the Face-Off Report was too fun an idea not to draw a quick sketch. Extra Hot Great keeps me company on long nights drawing comics, and I thought, why not draw something for you guys? Thanks for the show, and keep up the great work. Josh. And he drew a picture of what he thought your lion would look like. (laughs) What do you think of it? (laughs) 
Nice. Can you describe <laughs> it for everyone? <laughs> what it is is um a dark brown for the line and then petals for the mane and then the tail there's like um there's um leaves and at the very end there's a the a flower part. Do you approve of his drawing? Does it look like something that you think would work for your lion flower? Yeah, except for I didn't make the tail part. But the rest is what I made, actually. It's like you two are on the same page. <laughs> Maybe you should start drawing together. <laughs> Just kidding. He probably has a, a job that he has to draw for. What do you say to Josh? Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh.